Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. Tonight we're continuing in our Eastertide worship series where we are reading texts from the Gospel of Luke and thinking about them, sort of looking at them through the lens of Galileo Church's co-conspiracy. We're preparing ourselves for the day of Pentecost, which is June 5th this year, when all of our covenants of belonging to that co-conspiracy, if you've been around for a while, will dissolve and all of us get a chance to say yes again or for the first time to prioritizing the mission of Galileo Church for another year. Um, There are QR codes on that bright green square um, on those tables among you that you can um, take a picture. What do you do with a QR code? Take a picture of it, and it'll take you to the space on our website where that covenant of co-conspiracy is there, so you can read all about the practices that we're examining over these weeks of Eastertide. If you are online with us, um, Megan is putting that link in the chat for you. So the first, um, actually at the beginning of this year, we did a long series on the contemplation of our baptisms, past or future, one of the commitments we make in the co-conspiracy. Two Sundays ago, we talked about the sharing of material resources to further the church's goals. Last week, Savannah Brooks was here. How about Savannah? Yeah. And she helped us think through the cultivation of spiritual gifts for the life of our church and our community. Tonight, we're worshiping through, thinking through, um, engaging through the idea of participating in the church's discernment for our next steps together. I'm reading from Luke chapter 9. The verses are 18 through 36. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, "Mm, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of those ancient prophets has arisen. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, "Uh, the Messiah? of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, the son of humanity must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day raised. Then he said to them all, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them, the Son of Humanity will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the reign of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became 
dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory. They were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as those were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Peter, James, and John, they kept silent. And in those days, they told no one any of these things that they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The practice of discernment for our church's next steps together. See if this sounds familiar. Peter and the boys were religious before they ever met him. Their parents gave it to them first, the prayers and the scriptures, the songs and the holidays. Before they were old enough to believe anything for themselves, someone decided for them and then raised them right. They went to weekly services, They married and procreated and conformed their lives the best they could to the way they were taught. And then something happened. He showed up one day and basically wrecked everything, called them away from their livelihood and their community and even their families and started showing them a bizarre new way of not just doing religion, but encountering God. And they were shook. But they couldn't look away. They couldn't leave his side. It was delightful what he did, how he did. Every day was a new adventure in seeing God where God was not supposed to be. They wanted more, always more. And he just kept giving it to them. So they started whispering a new possibility. Maybe this could be the real thing. Maybe he could be the real thing, the one they had waited for. They were giddy with the possibilities, and they worked harder than they had ever worked before, turning all this newfound spiritual energy into service, cranking out healing and health and every kind of good news they could think of for every kind of person they could find. They were exhausted, weighed down with sleep, Luke says. But it was the good kind of tired, you know, where you sleep the sleep of the justified and you wake up the next day ready to do it all again. Okay, once in a while he would say something weird, something off, you know, about how it's not always going to feel this good, about how this recipe from God's universal cookbook calls for a generous measure of suffering for himself, yes, and for pretty much everybody who was going to go the distance with him. They, they shook it off. He could have off days just like everybody else, couldn't he? And besides, it, it felt really good to ruffle some feathers, to poke a finger in the eye of the higher-ups. They were having fun out here on the fringes, and if it pissed some people off what they were up to, 
so be it. And then came a day that Peter and the boys would never forget, though it would be a long, long time before they could really talk about it with anybody. He took them on a hike up, 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 which is a thing he did sometimes, uh, maybe to get closer to the sky so his prayers would have a shorter distance to travel, maybe to escape the gravity down below where the needs of all those needy people could really pull a brother down, maybe because he felt most at home in the in-between space, suspended twixt heaven and earth between God and humanity, safely held by the mountain rock, breathing the clarity of the mountain air. But on this day, the boys, whose personal prayer time always looked suspiciously like napping, were jolted awake by a, a, a flash, a crackle, a spark, something they couldn't quite say. And then there was Jesus, but not Jesus, a, a brighter, cleaner, bedazzled Jesus, looking honestly more like a Christ than a Jesus at the moment, like a bush that burns and is not consumed. Oh, and dun-dun-dun, he was not alone. No, for this conversation, the disciple BFFs had been displaced. He was joined for this one by companions he might have picked if they were playing. If you could have dinner with one historical figure, who would you pick? And you can't say Jesus. How Peter, James, and John knew that their replacements were Moses and Elijah, we cannot know. It is not like they could look them up on Facebook and click through their profile pictures. But there they were, two of God's greatest champions, two of the best at getting God more of what God wants, standing with Jesus radiating that spirit-filled life. The three of them immersed in deep conversation or deep mind meld or something deep. Okay, okay, now we have veered into territory that is really not at all familiar, right? Jesus in that moment was only accessible to a few, maybe only as many witnesses as it would take to corroborate each other's stories when they did tell it sometime later. But hang in there. What happens next is, I'm thinking, a little more available to all of us uh, if you take away the capital C cloud and the capital V voice. Basically, what happens is Peter just kind of loses his shit for a minute. His circuits get overloaded with sensory information. His equilibrium is rattled, and he feels like he's going to throw up a little bit. The ground is shifting under his feet. The recognition is seismic. He's having that experience where all the layers between himself and the deity of the universe have dissolved. All the protective comfort he wraps himself in are stripped. All the joy and pain and hope and despair and exhaustion and wokeness and everything else are instantly drained from his mind and body. And the only thing he knows is this moment and this Messiah and all the world's history and all the world's future are collapsed into this very second. And Peter is at once one with the mountain and the sky and he can see everything so clearly now all the corruption and greed all the bigotry and privilege all the fruitless bureaucracy and ritual all the pretense and power plays and all the repair 
all the repair of every broken thing, God's best accomplishment, the created order restored, starting right here, right now, where Peter stands, mesmerized, motionless, without a word to say, because really, who needs words when you are one with the universe and God is even in this moment bringing you home to God's heart? It is glorious. And if this is not familiar to you, if you are afraid that you've never had even a little flash of this, even a little taste, just, just think back. Just think back to the youngest newborn you have ever held, inhaling that unmistakable new human smell. Or think back, think back to the first time you saw your flag in this barn and knew that someone before you had hung it there just for you. Think back to the embrace of your lover when the passion took you to a new height of pleasure and you knew without a sliver of a doubt that you were known and loved. Think back to a deliciously cold night of camping falling asleep under the stars and waking up to birdsong. Find in your own experience the time you felt more alive and more connected than you ever knew was possible, the time you had no sufficient words to tell anybody about it later, the time you could only whisper, thank you, into the ether with assurance that your prayer would reach the ear of the God who made it happen. And then see if this sounds familiar as well. That Peter, left without words, without a familiar way to process what has just happened, because, oh, we love to process because we can't quite believe our own reality if we can't confirm it with somebody else, if we can't post about it and rack up some likes. Peter fumbles for familiarity and finds something he can wrap his meaty hands around. Religion and real estate, two great tastes that taste great together. Oh my God, he says, let's build something. And not just any something. Let's build a religious thingy. Let's build tents, booths, like in Deuteronomy 16:13, the festival of the harvest, the organized thanksgiving for the bounty of the earth, like the generations that came before us, the builders, the rememberers, they built things, we can build things, it'll be a monument in space and time to this feeling we have felt, this experience we've experienced, and then other people can come here too, and they can remember with us that we felt this way. and we'll get some liability insurance and assign some greeters and hire a custodian and we'll need a priest, oh yes, someone to facilitate and manage and narrate the religious experiences that might happen here. <gasps> we'll need a committee, <gasps> we'll need two. We'll write some policies, a constitution, a handful of bylaws. We will post some of those handwritten signs that say your mother doesn't work, here wash your own damn dishes. <laughs> Childcare over there, parking over here, all the amenities, what do you say guys? before the guys can say anything. The 
cloud. The heavy, obscuring, overshadowing cloud. And the sun is blotted out, the brightness is blocked, the sound of Peter's voice is dampened to nothing. Being in this cloud is like, it's like hovering in a sensory deprivation tank. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out. And when the cloud speaks, when the voice vocalizes, you don't hear it with your ears so much as you meet it in your bones. The voice infuses you with knowing. And this is what it says. It says, this is my son. I chose him. Shut the fuck up. Be still. Pay attention. And now the only thing you know, the only thing left now that the cloud and its voice have cleaned you out is that you know nothing. Still, after all this time, all this distance you've traveled, it is still your tendency to revert to old ways, to think that doing something is always better than doing nothing. To think that you need words for all that has happened is happening. <laughs> you haven't traveled as far as you thought. You're still scared of silence and stillness and suffering and sorrow. You're still scared of him, of getting so close to his weird way of being that you have to let go of everything you thought you knew for sure. So, so you shut the fuck up and you try to learn to be still, just pay attention. It is the hardest thing you've ever done, and you'll have lots of chances to mess it up. But the heavy cloud still descends, and the silent voice still speaks, and brings you back to wordlessness, motionlessness. And there you are, engulfed in glory, once again. In the co-conspiracy of Galileo Church, we have named discernment as one of the practices of our life together. And in truth, my own style of discernment is very wordy and loud, always with as many of y'all as I can get into one place at the same time with lots of gestures and laughing and bad ideas and wine if the hour of the day is right. You know, I once got a fortune cookie that said, to have a lot of good ideas, you have to have a lot of ideas. Words I have lived by. But a wisdom I am growing into, little by little, is that beyond the words and the activity, beyond the excited, nervous need to make stuff happen, beyond the inherited and in culturated and ingested idea that my worth is in my doing, there is a still, silent space where God is found, where the capital W word of God, God's logic for the whole created order can be heard, where I am called to do nothing say nothing, bring nothing, produce nothing. Friends, this is harder than being busy for the Lord. 
Churches are terrible at it. We want to know what to do next, so we schedule conversations about it. Sometimes beautiful things come out of the conversations. Finn's place, e.g. But what if the weird next move is to be still and be silent and let Finn's place be what it's going to be? What if last night is the last time that some of us, most of us, are going to be in that space? Not because we don't care, but because our doing isn't always the most helpful thing. And what would it look like more generally for a church to grow in its capacity to shut up and listen? What practices, what rhythms, what support would be needful, helpful for that? It's honestly hard for me to say. But I can tell you this. You know, when Finn Spicer died, Finn for whom that space is named, his family wasn't coming to church here anymore. We don't always tell that part. Galileo Church had suffered a season of serious conflict over a serious question that we could not resolve without losing some people, some dear people. So the boy that I had come to love, the boy who sat beside me on the front row every Sunday of the world, who murmured quietly to me for a whole minute during every query, though he was almost completely nonverbal, and who listened to me for a whole minute during every query, though I'm not sure he understood very much of what I said. The boy who served communion with me every time I forgot to find myself a partner. The boy who rolled his eyes whenever I would ask him because he knew I had forgotten, but who held the cup of Christ like the well-practiced pro he was. The boy who helped me baptize his sister lowering her down into the water in that trough and raising her up with such serious concentration. The boy who drew in a notebook all through worship countless pictures of himself and me holding hands, friends forever. Finn was not here, and the gap was enormous. The stillness, the silence, sorrow. In 2021, when a group of us decided to work on a community space for trans and gender diverse people, it didn't work. I mean, it just did not work. I mean, we met and met and met for hours and hours and hours. We generated documents, we generated surveys, we generated committees, we drove to Oklahoma City and back in a day to talk to somebody else who had done what we wanted to do and became overwhelmed with how very much more work it was going to take, how very much more money, how very much more everything, everything we did not have. And we had to quit. We had to tell the landlord that we were giving up. And we had to tell the mission logistics team that it was done. And I closed all those documents and all those tabs on my laptop. I archived it all away. The bigots were going to win. We were too small. The stillness, the silence, the sorrow, 
And then something, something, Holy Spirit. Or in the words of Alanis Morissette, circa 1998, the moment I let go of it was the moment I got more than I could handle. The moment I jumped off of it was the moment I touched down. Here's to many more seasons of discernment with you, Galileo Church. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.